0: You're listening to Guitars and Granola Bars, Episode 45. Thank you so much for joining me here on Guitars and Granola Bars Music Therapists Talk Motherhood. I'm your host, Rachel Rambach, and this podcast is for music therapists and anyone else balancing a passion fueled career with being a mom. This podcast is sponsored by Serenade Designs. Serenade Designs is owned by Julie Palmieri, a board certified music therapist. Julie helps her fellow music therapists create, enhance, and rock their online presence. Through Julie's website design services, social media and online marketing services, and virtual assistance, she's here to help you rock your online presence while making it all feel effortless. She assists music therapists in having a strong representation on the web so that they can focus on working in the field they love, music therapy. Julie understands what it's like being a busy business owner as well as being a mom. You can learn more about how Julie can help you with your online presence at www.serenade-designs.com. In this episode, I'm chatting with Amanda Ellis. Amanda is a board-certified music therapist and full-time mom working in Greenville, North Carolina. She is a cum laude graduate of East Carolina University, with a Bachelor's of Music in Music Therapy and a minor in Violin Performance. She currently works as a music therapist for Pitt County Schools in Greenville, North Carolina, serving students with special needs from K through 12th grades. Amanda, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: It is my pleasure. And I'm trying to think back to when we first met, and I know that it was online, it was through... My blog, I think, is how you found me. I think so. Yeah. And gosh, that was what, six or seven years ago now?
1: Yeah, I think you got it right.
0: (laughs) I think so. Yeah, Yeah. so long ago. So this is going to be really fun to chat about um, the personal side of things and also your work. So Mm -hmm. let's start with you giving us some background about your career and how you became a music therapist.
1: Well, I started playing violin in sixth grade in public school and I grew up in a military family and we moved a lot. I went to nine different schools growing up and the violin was something that once I started that could go with me no matter where we went. And that was really cool for me. It was an outlet and it was a way to make friends when you move to the new place and music became kind of the, the social side. So, um, that's how I got involved in music anyway. Um, and when I was a senior in high school, I'd only been going to that high school for one year. So I moved as a junior and graduated from high school. And music was just like what I always did. And I was in two different groups playing, and I played in quartets, and I just loved music. So I knew I wanted to do something with it, but not just perform all the time. And the critical side of performance isn't my favorite part. So... Um, I chose music therapy because I was like, I could, I could help somebody with some of this. I just don't want to be performing and being analyzed all the time. So that was basically my beginnings of it.
0: Okay. And at what point did you find out about music therapy and did you realize, ooh, this might be a good fit for me?
1: I actually had zero knowledge about music therapy. I went to audition at East Carolina and before I auditioned, I looked online and I, I was kind of a toss-up between – I could do music ed or I could do, oh, music therapy's on there. So I just said I was just going to go for that and figure it out as I went. So it's kind of a crazy part of it, but um, that's how it all started.
0: And did it feel like it was a good fit once you got to school and started studying it?
1: Sometimes. I mean, it it was good. I do kind of like gravitate towards that performance education world, but then I like the therapy world on the other side of it.
0: Yeah, and I think that's pretty common too because most of us started as performers and mm-hmm. um, music therapy just brings such a different aspect to music that a lot of us aren't used to in with our music backgrounds. So, right. um, yeah, I think there is a lot of adjustment there and just coming to it from a different place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talk to us about um, your school experience and then internship after that.
1: Well, I went to, I did the four-year program at um, East Carolina University here in Greenville, North Carolina, and um, studied under uh, Dr. Barbara Memory and Dr. Michelle Hairston. and we had a small class when I was coming through school, but we had kind of a close class, I guess you could call it. Um, we did the practicums in the public schools, our junior and senior years, and then we went on to choose our clinical training um, I interviewed for several different things and didn't really get any that I, any of my top three picks. So um, I finally settled for one that I actually got accepted by, um, and I did a psychiatric hospital internship um, a year after I got married. I worked for a year after we got married and then went into the non-paid um, six-month internship.
0: Did you feel like that gave you an advantage, having worked a little bit before starting your internship? Um. Or I was, think it
1: was, it was good for me.
0: Was your work I, music therapy related or was it outside of music therapy?
1: It wasn't music therapy. It was, um, well, sort of kind of, I worked with a four year old who has autism and I was like his morning caretaker. Oh, okay. So that was good in terms of behaviors. Um, so every day I was in charge of going to their house, being there by seven, getting him up, doing his normal training him basically to do, he was still on a bottle and still in a crib and everything. So kind of training him to get up to speed with a four or five year old type setting and take him to daycare before I would leave. So, I mean, it was very, very educational. Um, And then I also taught private lessons and I worked for a community music school that was just starting up, but I only did private like lessons.
0: Okay. So you're sort of like dipping your toes into the waters of working with maybe the population that you would eventually see as a music therapist. Right. Mm -hmm. Nice. So then what was your internship like? So I had
1: two months with um, admissions unit psychiatric patients and specifically admissions ward where they take them off all of their meds to see what their behaviors really are. And people from prison and all kinds of wonderful creative beings. Um, and then after that, I went and spent four months on their children's ward. And that was more, that was more me, that was safer. Um, and the, the, just the training and the supervision was different there where with the adults, it was like day two, you're interviewing people for rehab services, and you have no clue what you're doing. And then with the children, the lady that supervised me, her name's is Janet, um, she didn't want you to do anything for at least two weeks until she knew you observed everything, you had seen a lot of things, and until you started asking the right questions. She wanted to see that you were thinking the way we need to be thinking. So that was way more comfortable for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so working in that setting, did that sort of solidify that you wanted to work with children going forward as a music therapist?
1: I think so, cuz it was it was children um 5 years old to um, teenagers up to 17 years old. Okay. So, and they had longer stays back then, they did like at least 30-day stays, so you could really do mental health with them. So, it was it was a cool setting.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. it sounds like a diverse experience. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. So, After you finished your internship, what was your career path from there?
1: Well, I knew I was going to move because my husband, when I started my internship, he moved down to Florida State and started his master's in performance. And so we just had four months where we were living separately so I could finish the internship. Um, So I knew I was moving down there. I didn't have a lot of contacts down there, but I knew Florida State was like the big music therapy city. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought it would be pretty easy. Um, But when I got down there, all the jobs are taken by the big Florida Music Therapy City people. So um, I looked around for different things and then just decided I needed to get something because I was going to be the worker while my husband was in school. So I took a job um, working at a preschool. They called it a child development center. And it was for typically developing children. And I was a floater. So I would float between babies all the way to five-year-olds. In the mornings and help the teachers with things, and in the afternoons, I would sub for anyone that needed a sub. So I'm very um, flexible, I've learned that through life. Um, you can't prepare, you just have to be ready.
0: Yeah, very true. So,
1: yeah, that I, I get stuck in those situations all the time. So, <laughs> um, that's like my life lesson be flexible, just go with the flow. Um, so, I had that job for six months, and I honestly got bored because there wasn't enough special education going on for me. So I um, took that summer, I left that job and actually was a nanny for two rising kindergartners that summer because the parents paid really well. And that was kind of fun, but it was kind of boring. And then I found another inclusive center that was called the Dick Hauser Centers. And they had an op- an opening for actually a teacher assistant. And I was just looking for a job to pay the bills. Sure. Um, so I took that job, I interviewed and they had like really low income kids, really low stimulated kids, plus special education children. Um, so I was like, well, that sounds like the place for me. So I worked there for a year and then we moved from Tallahassee to Richmond. But um, that was a great center because the teacher actually left within two months of the job and I became the teacher. So it was very, they all they wanted was a college degree and get training as you go. So I used my guitar and we got things structured and it was a cool setting, but it was very, um, it moved quickly and you have to, you know, keep on learning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like even though you weren't working as a music therapist per se, you were still getting a lot of the experiences that would later come in really handy once you did start working in music therapy or as a music therapist.
1: Right. And that one setting also had, um, In your classroom, like they call it circle time in preschool, Mm -hmm. in your circle time, we had a vision therapist, a physical therapist, occupational therapist. We had all these therapists in there who you could kind of learn from them as you were teaching the kids. So it was really, I like that part. It was educational for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a great experience. Mm -hmm. So once you moved to Richmond, was that when you were able to find a job as a music therapist?
1: Not yet. Um, I took like a, I called it a two month break where I went, built a violin studio. I didn't really take a break. Because um, my husband took a full-time job, and I was going to take a little break because I had been working like 60 hours a week with the other jobs in Florida just to keep things going. And so we, I kind of took a back burner, kind of built a violin studio job. And then um, I looked around for jobs. I actually, uh, there's a lady named Kathleen Leonard, maybe? She's a music therapist in Richmond. I actually met her. I joined the Richmond music therapy association and kind of like started meeting people. And I didn't really find any jobs right away, but I went and observed a couple of people at some psychiatric facilities and things. And I knew I didn't want to go back to that setting if it wasn't a children's unit. So, um, I think that was kind of the idea. They wanted me to kind of observe it before any openings came open. And so I didn't really like geriatrics or adults. So I just observed and then left. But um, I interviewed for like a school for students with attention deficit and they had kind of a contract position open, but that really wasn't for me in a group setting either. It was too many children. Um, So I built a violin studio of like 23 students and then I also found another job at another daycare and I actually became their music teacher for babies up to five to seven year olds, depending on after school stuff. So I would rotate music and music and movement twice a week.
0: Nice. So that sounds like just a lot of fun coming from a performance background and having that music therapy education too. Mm-hmm. So right. were, were you at this point pretty happy with, with the work that you were doing or were you still kind of having that little nagging feeling like, oh, I need to, to pursue this music therapy?
1: Yeah, I've always kind of felt like that. And I've always been looking for like, I wish I could work on a team of people that are music therapists, you know, and I haven't ever really found that. And, or I get a job and I like it and I wish I could bring on like one or two more people and they always say it's not in the budget. Mm, yeah. So that's like, that's still on my future. You know, right. Goals. And we've had
0: that but, conversation before, I know.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Having
0: worked in the school setting.
1: Right. And it it's just nice if you have that, the system where you can back each other up or train each other in stuff that you know.
0: Yeah, definitely. But,
1: um, so that's kind of, I'm still there currently, but um, I'm very positively changing lives every day. Yeah. Yeah. No, Um, it's
0: true though.
1: It was true though. So I I do like, um, preschool age. I like kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, you know, definitely the, the younger kids I like, but, um, just looking for that setting. And we ended up, um, my husband actually did not love teaching middle school strings. Um, and he was the fourth teacher in four years at the school he was at, which we didn't know ahead of time. So, it was a hard year for him, so he was looking for other things, and we decided to move back because a lot of weekends when we lived in Richmond, we would come down to North Carolina and play weddings and gigs and symphony jobs and stuff like that, so all of our contacts were still here, and I kind of just presented as, why don't we just move back if that's where all of our leads are coming from? You know, Right. So um, we did move, and we came back, and I got a job working for the community music school that was starting up when I worked for a year before I did my internship.
0: Okay. And how did that go?
1: It was good. It, it's a, I mean, community music schools are great. And then it's also, it's really hard to have full-time employees working there. It's hard to fund them. So unless you have great funding, I think that's the challenge for anybody trying to direct one or work at one. Um, I stayed for seven years though, and did um, top violin, did music therapy and had some I had two kids with music therapy on their IEPs in our public school system, so that was really cool to learn how to do that experience and learn how to, you know, assessment and everything like that. Um, And then I just knew it was time to leave when I had an opportunity to work full-time and have benefits and insurance
0: coming in. And where did that position come up?
1: Um, It came up with the Pitt County Schools here in Greenville. They, um, They contracted me for a year to work only in their severe, profound classrooms, and that would have been all the way from kindergarten through high school. So it was nine classrooms, and I was contracted through the community music school. And that worked pretty well. And then they created a position. It was the first full-time position they've created, and they went up to like 33 classrooms. <laughs> so there was my job. But, um, so then they opened up all the populations in all their classrooms.
0: Oh, wow. So that had to be a big transition and adjustment going from the one classroom to all of those. How did you manage that?
1: That was, yeah, it was huge, because I went from nine separate classrooms to 33. I mean, we were also at a year when, when I came in, it was 2010, um, they were interested in um, forming an adapted curriculum that the students were going to learn from, but it follows the common core, so um, I love curriculum, that's the other thing about me, and I like structure, and I like adapting things so kids can learn, like, what their goals should be on their IEP, so... Um, that fit with me too because you can be really creative when you're finding out ways, you know, what could this student learn about plants that they would actually, you know, cognitively be able to grasp and how could we repeat it? And oh, there's a song for that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I came in, and we spent a lot of time on that like the next year or two. Lots of stay up till 2 a.m. mornings recording and go to work the next day and do groups and then come home and record at night. And so all of my recording was at home and Um, it was a long process, but it got a lot done.
0: Yeah. And at this point, what was your family life like? Had you had your son yet or was this before, before him? I
1: had my son, uh, Robert in 2000, let's see, 2003, December, 2003. Um, so in 2010, he was around kindergarten age. Um, it sounds right, right? Kindergarten first, something like that. Okay, And he was in um, private school. We've, we've done Montessori up until this year. So he was in a whole different setting and doing well. And we're doing the working mom, working dad thing. So it's always busy. But um, it ha- I had to change a lot of things when I changed from the community music school where I could kind of design my schedule around pickups and drop-offs. And going to a public school system, you have to be there at 8. And I work a middle school day, so I work until 3.30. So I had to get into some after-school programs and things like that to have care kind of managed.
0: Right. What was it like um, going from having that more flexible schedule and having a little bit more of say around your your time as opposed to working a more strict school day schedule? How did that affect you as a parent?
1: It affected us because we had to juggle our schedules and it's different when, I mean, I love my state job, but also the state controls you when you have a state job. So, I mean, you can work here till three thirty job, and then if they have an after school training, you're expected to stay an hour, two hours, you know, for whatever that meeting or safety training it is. Or, and that's hard to juggle that with, you know, pickups and drop offs. And then I was still teaching. Well, I'm still teaching after school a couple of days a week, teaching private violin. So, it's really hard juggling three different entities. But um, it it works somehow. I don't know how. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's the story of our life. Sometimes it's like don't question the yes. our process too much because right now it's working. So let's mm-hmm. just hope that it stays that way for a while.
1: Right, <laughs> but it was easier the community music school schedule. It was more flexible. That made it easier because I could pick up my son, and he could actually be at the school, and I could have one of the receptionists watch him playing with toys while I did sessions. Or he could he usually sits in violin lessons pretty well and just listens. So yeah, it was a lot more easier for me to be the working mom and the eyes on the child, mom.
0: Right, right. So what are some of the other challenges that you have faced as a working mom? And this could be going back even to during your pregnancy or right after Robert was born.
1: Um, I didn't really have a lot of pregnancy challenges. I had a rather large child, so that was my challenge once I went to be induced. They informed me he would be rather large. So, Rather large um, meaning... <laughs> Like he was nine pounds and six ounces. Oh, and he that's was rather just large, like yeah, a very big boy. And um I had a condition called placenta previa up until the ninth month where I had a c-section scheduled because the baby couldn't be born the natural way. And the ninth month, they did another ultrasound. And if you have the placenta um situation, they do more ultrasounds to like keep track of the baby right. And um no one ever told me he was measuring large at all, so even with extra appointments. so I was kind of shocked. but. Um, they informed me at the beginning of the ninth month that I could go natural and that was exciting and I just said, Sure <laughs> you know. But um I was all for okay, we'll just do whatever needs to be done, you know. Right. So, um we had him and in when I was being induced, I was induced for two days. I had a seizure when they started um, Pitocin and everything like that. So that was very scary. Oh, my gosh. Was Um, it
0: caused by the medicine or or something else? It
1: was caused – probably they guessed it was caused by the blood pressure spiked up really high. And sometimes – the way they told me my body's response was to have the seizure to bring it all down.
0: Oh, wow. I've never heard of that happening. That's so scary.
1: Yeah, it was scary. I mean because I only knew it was going to happen right when it's like starting to happen. It's a really weird feeling. But it kind of leads me into how some of the students I work with, how they feel – when you can see them going into a seizure and I'm like, I totally know what they're feeling right now. They feel that it seems like this cloud of black comes from the back of your head and it comes over your eyes and you can't come out of it till it's over. But, um, and I know I was like in and out kind of very sleepy feeling for like 45 minutes. And that's what a lot of the students I see. They're very sleepy after they have a seizure. And I'm like, I totally can relate to that because that's how I felt.
0: Yeah. But,
1: um, it's, and it's, you can't control it. That's the scariest thing when you're trying to focus on something. Um, so I was we were in the hospital for like 4 days cuz I was on seizure watch cuz I'd never really had a seizure. Um so that was kind of stressful and expensive, but we got through that and I mean Robert's been fine ever since. Um I went I took a rather short maternity leave. I only took 6 weeks cuz with the community music school we didn't have the benefits and everything, so I had to kind of get back to keep finances going and um so we kind of flopped our schedules. I went to work and I worked four days a week. And my husband was home three days a week, but that's what we wanted to do for our family in terms of having the baby at home. Okay. So we didn't do any daycare. We skipped that totally. And cause I'd worked in daycares and I know how healthy they are and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but I, the ones I worked at were really good, but it's just, there's more germs. So sure. yeah. Um, we kept Robert at home till he was three and a half and then he started Montessori school, like part time. And that was, it's been good for us. We liked that transition and it seemed like the right amount of what he needed and what we were okay with. And he transitioned really well.
0: Good, good. And I'm sure that made life easier for your whole family. Oh yes. Mm -hmm. So what have been some of the most fulfilling aspects for you of being a working mom?
1: Well, I think being able to, like, you know, provide for the family financially along with, you know, the husband working, too, it's good to have your own career, like, your own thing, what you do, and have your own, you know, relationships and contacts that go along with that so you get time for yourself professionally. Um, I don't know. That's pretty much what I like. I, I mean, I enjoy working with a variety of students and teachers, and it just gets you out in your mind thinking and challenged. And then when you come home, you're more focused on, you know, who you have at home.
0: Right, right. Now, I know that you mentioned that for a while there, you had a lot of take-home work that you were doing for your sessions and all that songwriting and recording. Are you still doing that? And do you still find that a lot of your time at home is spent doing work-related things?
1: Not as much. I kind I kind of um went to a method where I have a weekly to-do list, uh, a monthly, and a daily. So... I can kind of put things on a back burner in terms of how you know how badly does that teacher need that song, or you know if the teacher says I want a song about something you know in Europe, and I'm gonna wait for them to kind of tell me what they want before I do it for them. <laughs> so um, it's kind of like I can kind of like prioritize now, whereas before, like the first couple years in the job, I was really being kind of looked at and is this gonna work? And the um, the director that created the position got a lot of slack for creating a position like that because there wasn't one, so it had to like they literally told me we have to show marked improvement and growth in the students testing at the end of the year for this to be like a lasting job. So that was kind of stressful because you never know with kids testing if that's actually what they know.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, I was glad the teachers, you know, bought into it and I usually record almost anything I do. That's anything referring to academics whatsoever. So the teachers have it when I'm not in their classroom to provide the repetition the students need. So that's worked really well.
0: Yeah. And you've become a really prolific songwriter and recording artist. Um, so tell us about the other ways that you use these songs and share them.
1: Um, I use them mainly in the classrooms I work in. Um, I started getting contacts like you and awesome people that I'm not really that awesome, but you guys are awesome. Oh yes, um, you are. You
0: are very no, awesome.
1: No, <laughs> I'm not. I'm just kind of like this little, i medium floating through medium most of the time. But, um, I get inspired by all these people I see online and then I find myself not having time to like go to awesome. So I'm really trying to work on the (laughs) timeline. But anyhow, um, so I started like um, selling songs on Bandcamp because I was like, well, Rachel's on Bandcamp and I could get on there. So that was kind of like, I wonder if this will really be cool. And then I was surprised when people started buying the songs and I don't sell tons, but every now and then, like every other day or so I sell two or three songs and it's kind of a little pick me up, you know, Oh yeah! Kind of like, wow, someone still likes what I do. So you can have a bad day and people are still buying your songs in the private world. So it's nice that, you know, oh, this teacher actually gets all the worth in that. Um, and I got on Teachers Pay Teachers because I figure I work with lots of teachers. Why not go that route? Um, so I sell a little bit on there too.
0: Yeah, I'm curious mm-hmm. about how, um, how your sales are on Teachers Pay Teachers compared to Bandcamp, just out of curiosity.
1: There, I mean, Bandcamp is actually, I probably sell more on that, and I don't know why, but um, probably because it's linked from my blog.
0: Yeah, yeah, I find that to be true, too, and I was a little surprised because when I first found out about Teachers Pay Teachers, I was thinking, oh, this is awesome because a lot of my material is um, based in academics and can mm-hmm. be used in the classroom just like yours. So um, I was surprised when when it was not quite as um, – widely received there as it is on band but
1: right and I haven't figured out the the rhyme or reason to that other than I think teachers pay teachers is a lot of like a lot of teachers are looking for visual content
0: visuals right yeah and that makes and sense. I can't
1: sell any of my visual I mean I do when I write a song I also have a powerpoint that goes along with it and it has the words like the lyrics are on the slides and I make it into a windows movie this is what all the classroom teachers have when I like support them with the song, so the kids see the visual, they see the words, they see the pictures of the, so they can label things in the song,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so they get that whole experience um, when they're doing a song without me in the classroom. Um, but I can't sell any of those because I mainly use Google Images.
0: Oh, gotcha. Okay,
1: so if a photographer out there wants to work together. I could sell <laughs> lots. Of
0: things. Yeah, no kidding.
1: But like things like cells and stuff like that, I just don't have pictures around that demonstrate the microscopic picture of three parts of a cell. You know. <laughs> I'm yeah. looking for those kind of things, but um, right, and I right. can't draw that well, so.
0: Yeah, me neither. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, you are very busy between your violin studio and your full time job, and then also raising your son, who is how old now?
1: He's eleven and a half.
0: Eleven and a half, and so yep. you, what grade is he in?
1: He started. Um, we put him in public school this year. Shocker! Um, and he started in middle school in sixth grade
0: okay and is and he's musical too right
1: he is he um he had several years we started him on violin at three and then um I think pretty much the parents messed him up um <laughs> I think once he figured out dad was very technique driven and I was very creative your learning style driven um he just said I quit I'm never doing that again you know oh, sad. So, I mean it was okay but he got a lot of experience from it and when he was one and two and three um I actually did the Music Together training, and he was in a lot of classes. Um, So he actually heard a lot of those tonalities. And, I mean, he has the ability to pick out, like, there was a song about an owl, and there was a song about something else. And when the other song would come on, he would say, that's the owl song. But it was in the same key and the same, like, pentatonic scale and everything. And I'm like, no, honey, that's this song. And he's like, no, that's the owl song, too. So he can pick up a lot of cool stuff. And I was like, well, gosh darn it, you're right. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So
0: that's um, fun.
1: And he did some piano. I know we've shared lots of videos with you with yes, our piano. Yes. That was our motivation to practice. You can make a video from his Rachel. Um, oh, I stop. love it. Thank you very much. Yeah. Even though he never really got feedback, he was like, are we going to make a video if I practice this? So <sighs> It was cool. And so now, um, unfortunately, last December, our piano teacher closed her studio. And I really didn't have the time, or I didn't make the time, to go search for another teacher that would read him the right way and be motivating yet understand that like you know as a child in school and working parents we need like a you know an an understandable amount of practice and recital type repertoire a lot of teachers tend to give way way too much mm-hmm. so um I told him we were just taking a break but we still practiced at home and then um when he started sixth grade um he said he wanted to play cello so that's his new thing he plays cello
0: nice now uh, and that must make your husband happy because he's a He's a string
1: yes. guy, right? He's, he's budding to, um you know, hire him as a trio once we get him worked up to play there enough you things. Go. You know, so we, could, we could go together and not worry about childcare anymore. No know?
0: kidding. So,
1: he's All good, in. though. He When he played piano, he would play chords. And he would, when we first started C chords and things, he would say there's power in these chords. Ooh. And I was like, wow, that's a really cool, like, so on the inside, I know, like, he's just got this big, you know, appreciation for music. Yeah. And then he's a very sensitive boy, too, like like 69 on the inside. But um, <laughs> anyhow, so with cello, like, he played the school cello, and he said, you know, how cool that was. And then you're supposed to get your own cello for home and not bring your own cello to school. Um, and when he played his cello when we first got him one, he was like, whoa, this is, like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like he appreciates tones and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So yeah. it's interesting to see them kind of go through it.
0: That is, I'm seeing that from a very different stage right now. My son's only two, but I'm seeing, you know, some of those things pop up, like you were mentioning with, um, Robert recognizing the tonalities and the keys and scales and things like that. And I'm seeing Parker have some of those realizations and that's really awesome to see as a therapist. Yeah. It's like, wow, you know, he's been, um, exposed to all of these things, but you don't realize how much they internalize even at that young age but they really do
1: it's true and we do like i mean it's kind of people think it's crazy but if you turn that into your parenting like you know there's soft sounds and loud sounds and we use that with our tones with like correcting behaviors we don't spank or anything but he knows that there's a tonal change in our voice that you know oh we better check myself you know yeah exactly So it's really cool to see you can do a lot with sound and volume that you don't have to do with you know we don't yell or scream and that kind of stuff
0: definitely but um it's, it's cool. It is, yeah. So what are some things that you do for self-care?
1: Well, let's see. Um, every now and then on Friday nights, I take a two-hour nap. Oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> if my husband's home. Um, and I try to, like, unwind a little bit. Sometimes, and it usually is a Facebook kind of veg out, kind of look what's going on everyone else in his life. Like, put my son in bed at 8.30 and our very busy crazy dog sleeps in a crate in his room so i close them <laughs> off and once everybody's down usually i just sit for like 30 minutes and do nothing like i probably waste time but it's like time you need to not do anything
0: yeah totally so
1: that's mainly what i do i mean i every now and then i go out to dinner with friends and have no child around kind of thing um i don't know i don't i don't do tons of like meditation or anything like that um i have too much to do to do that so. <laughs> It's about 30 minutes to an hour or I just, you know, watch a TV show or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that, those are all, yeah, I agree. Those are kind of the things that I do too. And I always hear about other people's yoga practices and meditation. And I think, gosh, that sounds wonderful. And someday I will do those things too.
1: We'll schedule that in. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Someday. (laughs) That day is not today, but someday.
1: No, no, not today. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, what advice would you give to fellow music therapists who are parents or who are working full time and juggling the whole working parent and child in school situation?
1: Um, definitely, with like spouses and everything, you definitely have to kind of make sure you communicate and like you both have to be willing to give in and be giving of yourself to make it all work because. We just had that happen last week, like where I took off a half day because I could pick up Robert at school when he was having throat issues and stuff. And I mean, I could stay home the rest of that afternoon, get into the doctor and do all that. And then the next day we knew we were going to keep him home just to keep him well. So we had to trade off and my husband stayed home so I could work on Tuesday so we wouldn't both miss two full days of work, you know. So you definitely have to be flexible and help each other out and not, it can't be the mom's going to work full time and she's going to totally take care of all the kids needs. (laughs) No. It's a lot, you know? So, and kind of like, it helps because my husband works late too. Like he teaches in lots of different places and he freelances violin and everything. Um, But he'll call, like if he's coming home at nine or 10 o'clock, he'll actually call and say, do you need anything for lunches? Or do you need, you know, anything for you? And it's kind of nice because he could stop at the store on his way home.
0: So little
1: things like that help out because you don't want to pack everybody up and go again.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's great advice.
1: Working together is the biggest thing.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, do you have any other music therapy related news or projects that you'd like to share?
1: I really don't. I'm The only thing I'm doing is trying to blog post more. That's my new goal.
0: Yes, I love that because I love your blog and I've been following it since the beginning. Please, awesome. if you haven't checked out Amanda's blog and her songs, you need to do that. It's morewithmusic.org, correct? Yes. Okay, so check out her blog. Listen to her songs, especially if you work in the school setting or with kids or if you have kids. It is a great resource, so definitely check that out thank you yeah well Amanda thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your story with us oh you're welcome thanks for having me thank you so much for listening if you'd like to send Amanda a message you can contact her via her website morewithmusic.org or her Facebook page morewithmusic there are just five episodes left of this inaugural season of the podcast so if you'd like to be a guest let me know Get in touch and find the show notes for this episode at guitarsandgranolabars.com. And while you're there, make sure to sign up for my newsletter. I'll talk to you again next week.